Hey guys, and welcome back to Life Beyond the Sirens podcast. Uh, today we have Dan Edwards on the show, and his story is very motivational, very inspirational. The journey that he's been through from his accident up until today, uh, doing motivational speaking, uh, his positive mindset, and his just his energy that he gives off is contagious, and it made for a really fun episode, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. But before we get into that, I just got to go over a few show sponsors. First up, we have the cold protocol. So if you guys are looking for a cold plunge tub, it really is a great piece of equipment to have for recovery. Uh, It's going to help boost your mood, pain relief, stress relief. Uh, It sucks to get in for the two minutes, I'm not going to lie. But afterwards, you feel so good. It's worth the two minutes of agony that is the cold. Uh, But use SIRENS, all caps, for 30% off the cold protocol. Next up, we have firehouse training. So whether you're already a career firefighter, a pre-service fire student, or volunteer, they'll have all your training needs covered, and they're honestly top-of-the-line training. It's amazing. Uh, They have a guidebook also out called So You Want to Be a Firefighter A, which is an amazing Canadian kind of based book on how to get hired into the fire service, and it's a great read. It covers from front to back. It has all the information you need to get hired as a firefighter in Canada. So also, whether you need resume and cover letter writing, test tutoring, mock interview coaching, OFAI, skill preparations. They really do it all and they do it all in person or online as well. So go check out Firehouse Training for all your training needs and use Sirens for 15% off. Lastly, but not least, this First Response Coffee Company. Their coffee is truly amazing. It's fair trade. It's bold, delicious, smooth. Better yet, a portion of every purchase made goes back to supporting first responders in the community and throughout Canada. So that's a huge positive for us. So use Sirens 15 for 15% off there, but great coffee and goes to a good cause. But without further ado, we'll get into the show. 911, what's your emergency? Welcome to Life Beyond the Sirens podcast with Brett, Tim, and Stu. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Stories and advice from frontline workers. What's up, everyone? Today, it's just Tim and I, solo on the podcast. Our good friend Stu is out in the wilderness doing God knows what with no cell reception and 4,000 text messages to come home to. Um, We got a great guest today, (laughs) one of my good buddies from back home in the Sarnia, Ontario. Um, One of the most motivational people I know, a guy that's been through a lot in life and has a lot to share. Unfortunately, was in an accident at 18 after a night out. Uh, He'll tell you about it. And unfortunately, is a quadriplegic now, now a motivational speaker, podcast host, stand-up comedian. You name it, he does it. Uh, my buddy, Dan. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for the intro, bro. Uh, no problem, I, I noticed that in the, uh, your guys' intro that the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'm assuming Stu is, is, is Stu the yeah, ugly? Yeah. Is that it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do. Absolutely. So my name, yeah. So my name's uh, Dan Edwards. What am I now? I always like to start with my age. Thirty-five now. Goodness me. Oh no, I'm about to be thirty. No, am I thirty-five? No, we just turned thirty-five. Are we? We already are thirty. I'm. We we're happy. There are thirties already. Oh yeah, whatever. I'm thirty-some years old. Uh, my <laughs> birthday's my birthday's in a couple weeks. But uh, growing up, uh, now right now, you know, I'm doing school. Uh, I'm in social work right now. I'm currently uh, a King student right now in the summer. 
uh, taking some courses to do my uh, bachelor's of social work. So got that on the go. But um, in specific to, you know, my accident, I'm a, I'm a C5, C6 quadriplegic. So for those of you that don't know, I am paralyzed from the neck down at the C5 vertebrae, C6 vertebrae, uh, the cervical is why it's called C uh, section of your spine. So uh, with that, I have very limited mobility uh, anywhere from the half of my chest line down. Uh, so parts of my armpit, that line right there kind of cuts through the middle there. And you know, anything below that is uh, non-existent in terms of movement. Uh, some mild sensation here and there, but uh, I am a wheelchair user uh, ever since 2006 when I suffered my injury. Uh, I was horsing around uh, with a buddy of mine, Zach, and he picked me up. And when he picked me up, I landed on my head. And that's how I dislocated my C5 and then broke my C6 or the other way around. I think it's dislocated. Broke my no, broke my C5, dislocated the C6. So what's the difference? Breaking is not great, but the dislocation, does that also alter the nerves in your spinal cord? So what it does is if you look at, you know, the spinal cord within the spine, the spine itself, and then the vertebrae that make up the spine, when the one when the one vertebrae broke, the one I think underneath it slid. And so all it is is whichever one you can break a you can break your spine without damaging your spinal mm -hmm. cord. But when the one that dislocated started uh, disrupting and interrupting the flow of the nerves of the spinal cord, that thread that goes all the way, you know, from your tailbone all the way through, you know, it branches out to everything else in your body, right? So, um, central nervous uh, system, as they say in the biz. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You guys know, you guys know what it is. Uh, so, uh, and I used to know this stuff, you know, off the top of my head, but when I had to know, but uh, mm -hmm. now I'm like, you know what? It's a highway. There's, you know, a roadblock on the highway. Nerves can't get to where they got to go. So, uh, right. so that's pretty much how I explain. Especially that's how I explain it to kids, right? So, so like the force of coming down on your head pushed and cracked one vertebrae, and then the, you know, the physics of it just pushed on the other one and slid it out of the way. And that's how I was explained when I, uh, you know, after I had it. I later found out. God, this is funny. I was in occupational therapy. And they were, you know, telling me everything that had happened. They were explaining this to me. And then they dropped a little nugget on me saying, oh, you, so you also broke, you broke two ribs. I was like, I, what? <laughs> <laughs> like I did what? Like, yeah. It says you broke two ribs. I'm like, no one told, no one told me. I guess like if, you know, if it was below the like area that was affected, you wouldn't feel it. Right. Right. I, I don't, you know, necessarily feel it, but my body, like your body still reacts to it. Right. It's an interesting thing. So what I understand about nerves is you have two sets of nerves, nerves that run from a destination and nerves that run to the destination. Right. So the nerves that still run from a destination. So, you know, this part of your arm, even though I can't feel certain parts of my arm, mm -hmm. those nerves, like signals still come to the brain, but they can't get there. You know what I mean? So because of that, what your body does, your body will still react as if it is still feeling those things. Because even though I can't feel, so for example, even though I can't feel the outer part, I think it's called the ulnar side of my arm, even though I can't mm -hmm. feel that part of my skin, 
my skin will still react when something hot is pressed up to it. You know what I mean? It'll still react the same, even though I can't feel it. Right. So I can burn my hand. I can get third degrees on my hand. I won't feel it like, you know, how I feel my face and everything above my level of injury, but my, my hand will still burn. You know what I mean? But I'll be able to keep my hand in there longer than you can. I guess that would be like an inflammatory response and stuff like that. But like with it being a rib and like muscles related to nerves coming through your spine, would your, would your like muscles contract around your ribs and stuff? Or I'm assuming they would, they would do whatever they do. I knew breathing sucked. I remember that. And I was like, Oh, that, that explains that. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) do you breathe differently now? Like, well, the rib is fine now, but um, because because of my so the good that's actually a good question so because of my my injury and everything that revolves around it when you know an able-bodied person a fully functioning person breathes their obliques their abdomens help their diaphragm expel all of you know the oxygen and the you know the fluids in the bottom of their lungs out when they're speaking when they're breathing when they're talking whatever right so especially when you're coughing right so all of your obliques and all those muscles down here, mine don't work. So my diaphragm is getting no help from, from anybody. So, you know what I mean? Like group project, no one's shipping in. It's just the guy trying, trying to push everything and, you know, expel everything. So my diaphragm, my diaphragm is working in overdrive, right? So because that's still something I can, uh, I guess, operate because it's not, I think your diaphragm is part of your autonomic system. I think- it's too high up. It's a lot higher up than C5, C6. So I still have, like, I guess, control of that, but not through the ability of, like, helping it with my obliques and my uh, and my abdomens. So um, breathing is different. It's not the same. It's it's uh, uh, because I talk so much and I'm, you know, no speaker and everything. Like, I, I you know, and I do breathing exercises, too. Uh, that was something that they made important and that they made a priority when you're in the hospital doing rehab, too. So... Uh, so breathing is definitely different. Uh, my laugh is different. My cough is different. Like all of those things are totally different. Um, I still somehow have my tone of voice, but it's not the same as it used to be. Definitely not. If we could just go back to like, you know, the, the accident itself and like kind of walk us through that. Cause like one of my like biggest fears is to, you know, something like that happening as well. And mm-hmm. I, I find it, a little in bad taste be like oh i know what you're going through kind of thing because obviously i have no idea what like that sort of headspace would be like i find it like you know if something bad happens to you and people are like oh i know i know what you're going through and you're like no yeah. you don't no. um so like could you just like walk us through because like we've all been there we've all had you know a couple beers gotten you know our friends just roughhouse and like wrestle around and stuff especially you were like 17 18 years old you were you know star yeah. at being scouted by football teams everywhere like i remember one of the last times i saw you like able-bodied you were running through canatera park and it was just like oh there goes dan and then like the next week it was like wait what happened like freak yeah. accident all done that sort of rough housing and like can you just walk us through like you know you said he dropped you on on your head and like can you just walk us through those initial moments to like you know when the first responders got there like what was going through your head yeah, no, no, for sure. There were times, and like when when I talk about it, it's it, it's spacey. You know, it, it, you know, adrenaline's obviously running really high. There's a lot of shock. I remember as soon as I fell, right. So as soon as I fell, and like we said, I've done dumber. Are we allowed to swear on here? Oh yeah. <laughs> Not like 
full on. But yeah, but like I've done dumb shit before. And like you said, you know, we've done stupid things, you know, 18, 17 years old. Like I remember my brother and I were like 12 or 13. We would jump off my mom's roof, like onto a bed or something like that. You know what I mean? Like we would do dumb things. But being like 10 years old and like recreating like WWF <laughs> in the basement with my brother and just pile driver into a like thin mattress on the floor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're like, I don't think that's good. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Don't want to get in trouble before Bob comes home. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. no, you're good. You're good. I'll get you some ice cream. You're fine. <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So, like, as soon as, as soon as I fell, um, I could feel that obviously I felt like something was wrong. Um, so how I usually explain it to kids when I, you know, do my motivational uh, talks and, you know, and I tell them about my, my injury is I felt like I was standing like waist high with the water up to my waist in a pool, right? That's what the sensation initially felt like, but I couldn't feel anything below my waist. So initially when I was paralyzed, I could still feel everything from my waist up. I just couldn't feel my legs. The paralysis slowly made its way from my waist all the way up to my neck. And then I couldn't feel anything else after that. Um, How long did that take? That took rough to say, but that took in my mind, that took minutes like not not nothing close to an hour, but like that took minutes. That didn't take too too long. And was it like I couldn't imagine that anxiety because like obviously you know something's wrong and you can just feel it creeping up to be like you know when is this going to stop? Where's the hundred you know? percent? I knew I couldn't feel my head and my neck. This I knew I couldn't. I had no strength in my neck anymore. And I remember I tried to get up and then I laid back down and then I knew I couldn't breathe properly. But then when my friends adjusted me a little bit. I could breathe again. And that felt so much better. Um, but I do remember telling my friends to stabilize my neck. And like I was in, like I was in go mode. Like I was in like survival mode. Like I was telling people, I was giving out instructions to people. And I was the one that was like banged up. I was telling people, oh, stabilize my neck, keep my head steady, do this, do that. I remember I kept talking, you know what I mean? I, I was praying at one point. Um, just, you know, cause I was terrified. And then I remember my one buddy came over to me and said, no, nah, Dan, you're fine. You're good. You know what I mean? Like, no, you're good, bro. You're good. You know, just get back up. And I was like, and I remember, you know, I could, I remember over repeating over and over. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs. And, you know, I was sitting on one leg. I was sitting, I think I was sitting on both legs or something like that because when they tried to lie me down, like I was, I was like crooked, you know what I mean? Because I'm sitting you know when you're sitting down and like you're sitting on your like your ass is sitting on your foot like you're one of your feet like it's you're 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 lopsided so like I I could I felt like I couldn't breathe like that like that's what the sensation was like so that was obviously you know hella scary and when were there people around you freaking out like were they like, oh yeah I remember not? there were people around me freaking out there were people around me and I said call and I remember saying yo you got to call the ambulance man like call nine one one like call nine one one right now. Like call nine one one. Like this is bad. And I do remember when the first. I I vaguely remember. See, this is where it's like it's in and out, in and out, in and out. I remember the paramedics getting there, and then them asking me some questions. But like I was just like that's when. Once they got there, that's when like my fear of, like that's when like my control was gone. Like I was just like, just help me, man. Like just just get me out of this. Like just do what you got. Like, you know what I mean? Like I was still responsive, but like I was obviously terrified. And like, that's when like 
I don't want to say like the courage or, you know, like the dictator or, you know, the person who was, you know, telling people what to do. That's when all that was gone. And I was just like, yo, man, like, just get me the hell out of here. Like, just put me back together. And Mm -hmm. from there, I was sent to, um, you know, Sarnia Merge, uh, the one on Mitten Street. Right. And then because we had two at the time, like way back in the day, we only have Blue Water Health now. No one didn't have was that like the one with the super long ambulance back in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an emergency, but let me just put it in reverse and beep, beep down. Oh yeah, long, long like but like a hundred yeah. meter long ramp. It was a yeah, it was a long, long ramp, and then like how to even get down? How to get down there was this like really rickety like ramp that went back and forth like a per- like you know someone that was going into the emerge like they had a while to get down there too like it was i don't know who set this thing up but like it was not you know I'm, let's just say thank god for the one that we have now let's just say that um but by the time i got there and i don't want to digress too much but i years later i went back to get my records of that evening to see specifically like the times of things because i was curious about you know how things went down and also i wanted to know how long was i there for i thought i was in sarnia merge for like an hour tops and then i was sent straight to london uh at uh or no yeah i was sent to uh immediately after that but in actuality when i looked at those records um it said that i was there for several hours like at least like five six hours but like in my mind i remember going in and out in and out of consciousness and then i was back in the ambulance on the road to london and then that in my mind took 20 seconds and then i was in london that's when when i got to london that's when i was getting the uh the halo drilled into my head i woke up i woke up to the sound of that like I woke Whoa. up to the sound of the drill coming out my face. And then like, I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, someone going to move. I was like, why am I not moving? You know what I mean? Cause someone was like, it's yeah. a Ryobi. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. <laughs> like, what is this? Like, this is ridiculous. So, uh, Hey, you know, so that, that apparatus that they strap to your head to keep you immobilized. Right. So I think the objective is to, Allow the spine to not like you, you, you can't move anymore. Like you're not allowed to move. So the, they strap you to this thing. They put you in this thing. I can't remember. I don't know how it wraps around your torso or anything like that, but they drill it into your forehead and they put this ring around your head and then it's got bars beside it and like oh, okay. it immobilizes you. It keeps you it's completely like that, immobilized. Uh, uh, the movie House Bunny. Where that girl's yeah, running down. Yeah, the- yeah, that's it. I was thinking yeah. <laughs> just waking up to like. Well, have you seen the movie? This is actually a really good. It's um Miles Teller is in it. And it's about it's a true story about a boxer. It's like an Italian boxer. It was it was uh, like pretty recent, right? It is pretty recent. It's called Bleed yeah. for This, I think. Bleed for This. Okay. And they're actually. They show a scene where they're actually taking his halo out they're taking the screws out and like you know shout out to that makeup team for making it so realistic but like watching that like i, I watched the movie because i was like oh you know just interested and i like you know miles Teller's pretty dope but watching mm-hmm. that scene like just brought me back to like and i still have the scars in my forehead from it like i still yeah. have the scars from oh yeah they're there you can see they're faint but like you can still mm-hmm. you can still see them like you know so like they put 
They put four of them in you. So there's one here, one there, and then two at the back. Was it like traumatic for you to watch that or was it like? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought it was a dream. Like I thought this was a dream. I thought, you know, watching that thing come to my face, I thought this was definitely a dream. And so um, after that had happened, I, uh, like I said, in and out of consciousness or for a lot of it. And then that's when uh, shortly after that, I think I was moved to Victoria Hospital. Um, Something with like the surgeon wasn't available or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember those details. Mm -hmm. But that's when I remember um, my mom, my dad were in the room and they were telling me that, um, you know, you're, th- that's when I got the news about my diagnosis and everything. So uh, and they knew about it, obviously. And they knew. I think I, I, I think even at that point I knew, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what that meant long term, you know, because the biggest injury or the most significant injury, I should say that I had ever had at that point in my life was a sprained ankle jammed, you know, every one of my fingers playing basketball. Um, um, I had a mild, um, what I thought was a heart condition, but it was like the muscles around my heart prevented me from playing some games of football. Um, yeah. yeah, like it was weird. It was like, I had like strained some muscles in this area, but because of how it felt the sensation of it, it would send me into panic attacks because I thought I was having a heart attack. And I was like 17 at this, at that point, you know, going through that. And like, so I, that's what I thought was the thing. And so like, there was one time where I was like hyperventilating and like, I had to get taken to the emerge because like, I thought I was dying. Like, I don't know, like my muscles started Mm -hmm. all tightening up. And so, and so that I remember, I remember I was lying down in my mom, in my uh, living room on the couch, I was saying in my mom's house, but uh, yeah, I was 17 and I was just looking at the fan go around and around and around and around. And then I started having a panic attack and then that's the first time. But again, it was all because like how that muscle felt around that area. That's why I thought that was what was actually happening. But, um, and it plays on your mind like that. I I think I'm dying. Yeah. I think that's, you know, so that's what, uh, that's, that's the most significant thing that I had occurred health wise, injury wise, up until my my accident so my mind was how long is this going to take for me to go back to doing what the hell it is i was doing you know this past week running through canada just training you know what i mean like doing those things and so that's yeah sorry did you have like a sense of like when your mom walked in the room like oh shit like because like my mom will call me and like i can like within like two milliseconds of being on the phone like something's not right Mm -hmm. what's wrong like was it that uh, sort of like sixth sense of like something's not right here? Not as much when my mom walked in. My parents split when I was four or five years old, and then my dad's been living in Europe somewhere for a majority of my my life. And seeing him in the room, that was when I was like, oh, shit. like this is yeah, like this is this is whatever this is, it's it's bad. Um right. So yeah, that was my oh shit moment. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that, uh, you know, you jump into surgery, they fuse everything, they stick, you know, whatever rods or pins or whatever they got to, you know, put in my neck to keep everything stabilized. And then you just wait for the swelling to go down and then you start rehabbing and trying to get some movement here and there. And then you strengthen all that movement afterwards. And yeah, this is what you know. I'm left with now. So yeah, so for your listeners, I'm I'm able to you know put my bo- both arms above my head now. 
Um, I'm able to drive a vehicle. Uh, I've got a significant amount of strength in my upper back. I'm able to transfer myself to and from bed. Uh, but again, like I can't, I have no control over uh, my bowel, over my bladder. I, I manipulate those with, you know, different types of, you know, medicine and stuff like that. So, you know, right. uh, I got PSWs that help me in the mornings, you know, getting into my shower chair. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm still able to, you know, move my arms, scrub myself, do all that stuff. I get help putting on my pants, my socks, uh, shoes. And then, you know, after that, once I'm in my chair, though, I can put shirts on by myself and brush my teeth, feed myself, you know, go get meals, whatever, go grocery shopping if I need to. So once I'm in my chair, I'm sufficiently independent now. So, but right. it all started with trying to pick up, what is it? I think they had me trying to pick up, um, these pieces at these marbles. I think they had me like try to like, you know, move marbles or they put like uh sand weights, bag of weights on my arm and just have to try to lift my arm doing that. So, and then uh, and, like, what is the feeling like? Like just, I can only imagine it would feel like your hands are just like asleep and it's like that coming it, back. Where you're like, pins and needles. Yeah. Pins and needles. It, yeah. So all the time? initially when sensation and movement came back, the, the kind of the 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 process or the progress was if it started to feel like it was on fire it was coming back oh. like that's kind of how it felt like it was pins and needles ish but mostly like a burning sensation like an absolute burning sensation. and like there was no controlling it like i guess you could take uh some people i remember in the hospital uh roommates and you know people down the hall on the floor uh, we're taking, I can't remember the name of the actual medication, but it was nerve pain meds. Like there was something oh, that you could take. So like it, it, yeah. Oh, it hurts. It's it just that there's no one, there's no telling when it will happen and when it'll start. And then there's no telling how long it'll last. Like I've had nerve, mm-hmm. nerve pain that lasts, um, that has lasted like, you know, half an hour. You know what I mean? And oh, it's just wow. constant and just burns the entire time. But once I started getting used to the idea of, oh, you know, so my forearm, when it would start burning, I was like, ah, shit, holy shit, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like this, 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 this is killing me. I realized that I was also excited because I was like, okay, my forearm's coming back. You know what I mean? So maybe my right. hands, my hands might be next, right? So this is, you know, this is exciting. And the same thing when my tricep started burning, like I was like, oh my God, like this hurts a lot. Upper shoulder, like this part, all these things, like when they started like actually burning, that's when I was like, okay, here, they're coming, they're coming back. And then, so that's, and then you just, you know, continue to, you know, build and move on. Actually, one of my things um, that uh, my occupational therapist that he would always uh, encourage me to think about is, you know, how, and this is when I started thinking about how powerful the mind actually is, right? Like how, you know, how strong and influential the brain really is on the body is he would tell me to like, think about certain movements, even though you're not physically doing them, but just think about those movements, but like really small things, right? So um, flicking your wrist, you know, when you're shooting basketball, turning a knob of a door, right, to actually turn it. And so like just going through that mentally, it definitely ignited like the actual movement of my forearm to turn. I just... Like things you would never really think of. You just, you just exactly thinking do. of things you don't think about. You just do them because you just you know you come out the womb just flailing and moving. You know what I mean? You just already know, right? So, but uh, so thinking about that movement, uh, turning a, do- a doorknob, um, 
I don't know, like just any any of those small, small, small things. And that's one of the things that I did appreciate about my um, my occupational therapist is that they simplified things. You know what I mean? Like just go back to the basics. And that's pretty much what it is, is you're relearning how to do what you've always done. You know, you were just not conscious yeah. of it when you were figuring out how to, you know, feed yourself, right? You're just a baby and you just watch a spoon, but then you figure out, oh, I can grab that spoon myself. <laughs> well, like watching my daughter grow up, like obviously she's learning fine motor skills and stuff. And like, it's like you said, just things you take for granted. Like I watch her and I'm like, just pick up your fork. Like, oh, you right. don't know how to do that. But like, I imagine it must've been so frustrating to just be like, yo, I want to grab that Man, remote. Like things like that were just um, like not being able to move my arms, not being able to scratch my face, like not being able to be like, there's an itch on your face. Man, like things like that definitely take yeah. those things for granted when what's the longest you've had an itch and you just didn't scratch it? You know what I mean? Like what's about one, one second. One so second. like, I remember I would have an itch. On my, I had to call a nurse once in to my off into my room because I had an itch on my head. I was like, I, I can't like, it's been, it's been 10 minutes. I can't oh do God. this. Like, like it's just, yeah, <laughs> I know. Like, you know, you know, what was crazy. This is, this was the moment, and I've, I've written about, I've journaled about this, um, you know, years later, obviously, because I, I wasn't able to move uh, my arms or, you know, my head or my face really that much at the time. But uh, I just moved to Parkwood Hospital, and um, they give me a call button that sits on the bed. So you just kind of like nudge your head and like hit it right when you need someone. My call button had slid a little bit too far away from the pillow, right, on the pillow. So it was out of it was out of reach of my head to like, you know, get it. And I shit you not. I woke up at like one thirty something in the morning. Cause I could see the clock, you know, I was sleeping on my side and, uh, there was an earwig on my pillow. Oh, and so I remember just looking at this damn thing and being like, I would find this hilarious if I was watching, if I wasn't the person sleeping in this bed right now, if I was watching this, if I was the third party, I would find this hilarious. And like moments like that where I was just like, this is a joke. Because you can't just Bro, it away. you know how hard I was doing this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Just oh, my God. Sweating that out, man. It was just, oh, God, it was brutal. But there's moments like that where I just, you know, you got to, I had to figure out how to like laugh at this stuff. And like, I had to, I know I was 18 years old and like, you know, you know, you think you're grown up and stuff like that. And you think, you know, everything obviously as a teenager, but no, you, know, no, nothing. you know, nothing. And I felt like my position in life at that moment, I was forced to appreciate obviously anything, like any type of milestone, little things, laugh at things along the way. You got to be light about some things, even though, you know, it absolutely sucks. You know, it reframes how you look at problems, like what are actual problems in life? You know what I mean? Like, what is it? You know, I, I yeah. guess I'm, in essence, I'm describing perspective, but you just really reshape what is actually an issue? Like, what is an actual problem today, Dan? So, um, and I, I don't give a damn who you yeah. are. An earwig on your pillow—that's like a ten. I don't give a damn. Like that's that's a problem. Well, like so, I tell basically anytime it comes up in conversation, like you're literally probably the most motivational person I know to go through something like this. And like, I know I might not have the same headspace as you, where I might have been more mm -hmm. "woe is me" kind of thing instead of turning, you know, like like your 
situation around into something positive and now like you're a motivational speaker i imagine a lot of the things that you went through were like very humbling because certain things that people take for granted like simple independence like being able to put your pants on or get up and go for a walk or make a sandwich or whatever is like a huge like mental hurdle that you went through and now at this point in your life like you're just easily the most motivational person i know because you turn everything into a positive and like you know even just sharing your story now is pretty incredible and i'm sure a lot of people at home are listening like wow this guy's pretty fucking cool which i sold it from the beginning he's one of the coolest guys i know (laughs) but like how long did it take to go like did you have a woe is me to like man i need to just buck up and just deal with this and like make you know what are one of those cliche things like all the stick I didn't really know much about like the stages of grief around that time too. And like, you know, this is, you know, for context for, you know, for your listeners, like today in 2023, mental health, mental illnesses, um, you know, conversations around mental health. These were things we didn't talk about in 2006. Like we weren't, we were not talking about any of those things. Like that was still the mindset you get hurt walk it off you know what i mean like just figure it out rub some dirt on it do not cry for the love of god especially if you're a man do not cry oh yeah exactly boys Boys do not cry oh like oh that guy's sobbing what a loser you know what i mean like that's every single time that's what it was about and then now you know the conversation is different my god thank god the conversation is different now but did i have like why we started this podcast like sorry to cut in but like that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast is to like open up that sort of conversation and be like yo it's okay to talk about shitty things that you're going through no doubt and like there's so many layers to it and so you know when i think about what was my you know let's kick it into gear moment what was my what was me moment i remember i remember when i was still at uh so i had my surgery i've been to every hospital in london but let me try to you know backpedal I was sent immediately to obviously Sarnia Hospital, then UH after that, so University Hospital. And then I was moved to Victoria Hospital across the street from Parkwood. That's where I had my surgery and then moved to Parkwood for my rehab. But at my time at Victoria Hospital, there was, I think they're either a psychiatrist, a psychotherapist, or um, psychologist, one of those, you know, psych uh, folks, right? Social workers. They would come in and ask me, hey, you know, what are your emotions like? Like, what are you feeling? Kind of thing. Like checking in on the mental well-being of of myself, right? And I remember they once straight up asked me, had you cried yet? And I was like, nah. Like, God, no. Are you, Tear ducks are are you kidding me, bro? I got this. And like, and again, still, my mentality was as an athlete, you know, only injury that I've ever had was that, you know, muscle thing in my chest or ankles or, you know, jammed fingers. I was like, Two, three weeks, I'm good to go. You know what I mean? Four weeks, all right, fine. I'm in a hospital, I'm in a bed, can't feel nothing. I'll give it a generous eight weeks and I'll be out of here, right? Like that's that's what my <laughs> mind was saying to me. You know what I mean? Let's just bang it out in the physio room for a bit and then Bob's your uncle, I'll be back. Dr. Kim's in all you hear, well, well, we'll be playing. Exactly, like that's it, like that's it. I'll be back and nothing. This won't, this is a dream. Like this is a dream, I just got to get past it. And that's where my mind was at. And so, like, yeah, when she was like, yeah, have you cried yet? I'm like, there's nothing to cry about. This is this is a blip, man. This ain't nothing. So 
I'm no psychologist, but it yeah. sounds like <laughs> oh yeah, right, hundred percent, hundred percent. Now looking back on it, it's definitely that stage. He's like, yeah, this guy's right on. This guy's right on track. After that, I get sent to Parkwood. I think it was my second night at Parkwood after being moved from UH, you know, to begin my rehab. Bro, I remember I slept. I I barely got any sleep this one night, and I cried for hours. I want to say three hours at least, like just pouring it out nurses in the hall like nurses they heard me they would come in like they're basically taking you know they were like tag teaming it pretty much like one would come in and then one would realize i'm still crying the next one would come in it's still crying like I, floodgates were open i just could i couldn't stop like I, I could not stop um i remember i hated it um that was my moment where i was like this isn't fair why did this have to happen now I couldn't some shit like this happen when I'm like 60, 70 years old or some nonsense like that. Like, you know, like, why is this, you know, how did this happen to me? I don't deserve this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and just so you know, for reference, you know, reference, I was never angry at Zach, you know, my buddy that I was wrestling with at the time. I was never mad at him. I was just always mad at the situation. You know what I mean? Like none of that aggression. And I remember having to tell him that too, but like, again, like, that was my moment where like, you know, where I was like, just pissed off. And to say that that was my only one would just be uh, well, obviously a lie. Um, it was, it was occurring. It was a reoccurring thing. And that's when I started to, I guess, adopt the idea that, or the concept that this isn't, this isn't transactional. This isn't like the movies where, you know, they have that moment and then they go into some sort of like workout montage what yeah 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 cue the montage cue the montage and they're just you know back at it like it's and it just pans back over you're still sobbing just like no (laughs) it's like oh wait no that didn't that didn't happen it's like a family guy episode you know what i mean but 100 percent, like it was a mindset that started to cultivate and realize that okay we got to take that well we got to simplify this you know what i mean we got to you know, get basic and get basic quick and think, okay, let's take this in small strides kind of thing. And so um, I do remember, I do remember crying a significant amount one day and not going to therapy that day. I didn't go to physio. This was the first physio I ever missed um, because I I still didn't have, one, I didn't have a power wheelchair at this time. And two, I didn't have movement in my arms. So it wouldn't have mattered uh, or much movement in my arms to use a power chair. Um, So they called them uh, porters transporters right people that you know would bring you you know to and from your appointments right so they got your schedule so they know where you got to be throughout the hospital right so my porter would have to come bring me and then so i remember one day he came to bring me to therapy and i told him fuck this man i ain't going and then he's like are you sure and i was like man like i don't like i i ain't got nothing in me for this today and so i didn't go but of course my my physiotherapist is down there waiting for me and so obviously and you know she's been around the block she knows obviously you know what kind of you know mental state you know patients like this are in especially within their you know first month of this stuff happening so she comes up to my room and i'm facing the window crying and she comes up she takes a knee you know, and uh, she didn't say anything for a moment. And this was like one of my turning moments. I have a lot of, I have a few of them, but this is definitely one of the earlier turning moments. She goes to me and she says, um, oh no, she didn't say anything. I started the conversation. Actually, I initiated, I said, uh, you know, I stopped crying for a second and I asked her, um, 
have you ever seen anybody do this? And it's a loaded question. And she knew what I meant to the fullest of the extent. Like she knew what I was mm-hmm. saying. You know, she didn't have to say, what do you mean? Or how far? Do you, you know what I mean? She, she didn't have to say any of that stuff. She knew what I meant when I said what I said. And so, you know, have you ever seen anybody do this? And the only thing that she said was, and whether she believed this or not, this is definitely something I needed to hear in that moment. She only said in response, I think you can. Like, I believe that you can. And that's, that's, and I only knew this woman for like four weeks, three weeks, maybe. And that's all I needed Mm. to hear in that moment. And it is something that I've like journaled about and written about and I've talked about it with, um, with people, you know, today. Um, and it makes me realize that like how important, like just one, the people that you keep around in your life are important to your or vital to your mental health, but two, believing in the believing, having someone that believes in you is incredibly invaluable. Like, I don't even know how to categorize. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to quantify that, like what that person would actually mean to you. Um, but believing in yourself, yes, 100%. But it is definitely linked to having people in your life that believe in you. Not like, you know, respect you, like you, love you, but legit someone that just thinks like, yeah, man, I I, I think you can do this. And I think you can do this. Even on shitty days when it doesn't look like you're doing it, it doesn't look like you're doing it well, but I still think that, you can do this. I believe you can do this. And so um, that's, you know, that's one of those moments where, like I said, this is three, four weeks out, you know, since being at Parkwood. Mm-hmm. So from my actual injury, we're probably talking maybe anywhere from five to six weeks since my injury. And that's yeah. one of those moments. Yeah. That goes, that goes to say like a, a lot about the effect people have on people in your jobs, like especially, something like our job where we play a role in people's lives, whether mm-hmm. it be big or small, but like this physiotherapist could be like, you know, disgruntled at her job and just be like, Dan, I don't know. Just like do the extra. But the fact that she actually like cared and like mm-hmm. made an impression on you is like, so and like, you know, it's a pretty important message that you just kind of just dis- like displayed there. Like, so it's just a good snippet or example of like how, like if you don't think you're affecting 100%. people, you definitely are. We, I've had kids come to me and said that I said something to them during a presentation or after a presentation, you know, so, you know, I'll do my thing. I'll give my talk. Right. And then the kids usually come up, they want to chat some kids that had questions, but didn't, you know, too shy to say them. Right. And I've had kids now because when I started motivational speaking, that was in like 2009 was probably my first one. My first school was definitely around 2009. I've had kids now that are, you know, that's, my goodness, how many years later that is? That's 11, 12, whatever. I don't know how many years that is. Whatever. It's 10 plus years. They come to me now and they say, hey, I remember you said that one thing about this and I could do that. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, bro, I have zero recollection <laughs> of saying that. And I have no idea who you are, but I'm so glad in that moment, it meant something to you and you've done something with that. Like you said, like, you know, you don't know the impact that you're making on people when you say the things that you say. Um, and you know, the sad part about that though, is that the other side of that scale is, um, you know, you could say something shitty to someone and that, that matters oh, too. Yeah. Like that matters too. And so I beat up him <laughs> all the time and like, I kind of feel bad for him sometimes, but <laughs> <It's just> <laughs> <strong>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Break me. laughs> you hear the beat down in his voice just like 
It makes me stronger. <laughs> is there anything that fully abled person does or complains about that kind of drives Bro. you insane sometimes? Oh my God. I just really kind of wanted to build off that because I've never experienced anything like you go through, but I was in like now having a baby, like going anywhere with a baby and you see people like they're taking the elevator in a mall and you're like, yo, you have two legs. Walk down the escalator. I don't want to wait. I can't go down the stairs. <laughs> Bro. Okay. So, you know, I don't, how I begin this thought process now versus how I used to think about it then was I think about how grace is something that everyone is given, right? What's on, and by that, I mean, what's on your plate in terms of life is on your plate. Some people's plates are different sizes and the amount of things on people's plates varies from person to person, right? Your job in life is to just finish what's on your plate, but everyone's plate just looks different, okay? So with that being said, I understand that. I get that. However, I'm also human, and sometimes watching people mm -hmm. take the elevator when you know good and well your legs work, and the more you move, the stronger you get. The My goodness, the slower you move, the quicker you die. That's one thing I do know about human beings. So I don't know why any of you cats are even yeah. on the elevator. Like, you want to be in a grave soon? So use, use the damn <laughs> stairs, man. Like, I don't know what you're doing. But or the escalator. <laughs> It does the work for both, you, man, both. And there definitely are times and I don't, I have said this to certain of my friends after, you know, hearing some of their complaints about life and their issues and their problems. Some of them in moments, I will share it to them. I won't, I won't blurt it out in public and stuff like that. Like I try not to do that. Definitely. I don't think I've ever done that. Uh, maybe once actually, but there are times where I have to tell people, look, man, the amount of shit that you complain about in life like, like I said before, these aren't, are these real, ask yourself, are these real problems? Like, and look who you're talking to when you're saying yeah. some of these things. Like, I'm not trying to shame anybody into the things that they're going through, because like I said, everyone deserves grace. Everyone is going through different things. And it's based off of what you've experienced in life that prepares you for the things that you're currently going through. So the phrase, I'm doing the best I can with what I've given is almost, is always true. Like, it's always true. Like you're handling this situation according to how you've been set up in life up to this point, what you've managed in life, what you've, um, you know, the level of resiliency that you have right now is, or what you've been through before has prepared you for what you're going through right now. So therefore, you know, it's not going to look perfect or like the same as, you know, Jim's or Joe's or whoever's right. It's, it's going to look according to what you've been through in life. And so I do desperately try to remember that, but there are times, um, and I, it's funny, you, you, you know, you had asked this, um, because, you know, I just had, I just had yesterday had some issues with my wheelchair and, you know, a new program or whatever software, I don't know what the fuck they did to it, but they did something to the computer in my chair. And so now the speeds are a little bit different. And so there's a ramp behind me that allows me to get out to my, uh, my patio, my balcony and the chair now stalls halfway up and I'm like, so now what? I can't use my balcony. My point is, is like, that's not a problem an able-bodied person has. You know what I mean? Being able to get out yeah. to their patio, yeah. that's that's not a problem they have. And, uh, you know, right. I, 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 I do get frustrated at times, but I, and it's not that, you know, I don't tell myself, oh, don't get pissed, don't get pissed. No, I allow myself to get angry 
I do allow myself to yeah. get angry. And it's important because um, at this stage of my life and my understanding about emotions, and as you know, you know, I'm, I'm reading and I'm understanding them more and I'm living it obviously too, is your emotions de- deserve respect, each and every one of them. You know, um, sadness, it deserves space and it deserves the time, you know, to be sad. Happiness, obviously, it deserves that space, that, you know, joy, but anger, being pissed deserves respect. And so try not to like, you know, take it out on the people that you love, but let them know that you're fucking angry. Like you are angry. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Like One of the things I've learned, like through understanding emotion and stuff is that anger typically is just like a front for something else. Like you might just be like, me, it's like, I'm disappointed in myself. So then I'm like, actually it comes across as angry, but like behind it all is a different act, mm-hmm. like different emotion. And you can feel more. And one of the things I love too about, especially about being human, you can feel all of them at once at the same time. You don't have to be like, oh, you know what? I shouldn't be sad about that. I should be happy about it. No, you can be both. Be both. You know, yeah. someone gets that job that you really yeah. wanted and they get it before you and like, oh, I'm really happy for you. I'm kind of pissed that I didn't get it. That's okay. That, bro, that's okay. Like, that's you're human. Don't try to be like, oh, no, I shouldn't be upset. You can be upset because you're upset that you didn't get it, but they would have to have that same fight or that same anguish or discontent or whatever. They would have to have that same confusion that you would be having if, you know, if you got it versus, you know, versus them getting it. Feelings are uncomfortable, right? So people just try to like avoid them at all costs. And then you never actually process that feeling that you had. And then it leads into other things of, you know, like bitching about things not being on sale. You know, like it just like plays out in your life because you're not actually allowing yourself to feel the things. And you're just like, you know what? Um, I'm, I have everything good. It's fine. I'm just going to ignore that. And it's just like, no, somebody just dinged your car door. (laughs) You're allowed to be like It's any of these things. It's not normal. Like, oh, you know, uh, but like everything's fine. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Because later you're going to rage out about 100%. something. Like, and so, you know, my mindset now is time and place. Um, give those emotions the space that they need. You know, um, obviously not in the middle of, not, I shouldn't say obviously, but like try not to do it, you know, at aisle four at the superstore. You know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe, maybe don't, you know, rage out in the middle of the grocery store. Yes. You know, come on, settle down. But, you know, definitely create, and I make it a priority too. You know, be upset at times um, when you know you haven't given that thing that space that you need to be upset about it. And I I definitely do that. Like, you know, I definitely try to practice that. And, you know, I, I do get pissed off about, I do sometimes get pissed off at, you know, people that take things for granted. It, I do. But I also have to take account, take into account, you know, where are they in their life right now? You know, what are they going through? How old are they? You know, what are they experiencing in life? What tells me that, you know, I'm I'm also able to give that person an opportunity to see life from a different perspective. Like, and don't get me wrong, I'll lay it down when I have to. I've gone, to, you know, I'll be at Lambton College, right? I'm, you know, waiting to go out in the elevator. And, you know, some other of the elevators are busted and I get on there and you got, you know, four CPAT buddies on the elevator chilling. I'm like, sorry, boys, get off. Yep. Beat it. Let me go. They're like, what? And I'm like, get the fuck off. Right. Come on. <laughs> get out of there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had to do that. And like, I've got no shame in it at all. But I don't do it in a way that like 
you know, makes them feel like disgraced for, you know, their lack of, you know, effort up the stairs. But it's yeah. just, I hope they take that as an opportunity that like, hey, man, we've got legs that work, work them. Yeah, it was leg day yesterday. <laughs> um, but it shows a lot of like self-awareness to the point where like you can think of other people. That's one of the things I'm learning as well, like learning about emotions and going through therapy and whatever. And to have that level of awareness of like, oh, you know what? It's not no. an attack on me. It's, you know, like other people, might, no they're doubt. going through shit too. So no like, doubt. you know, and like and a lot of people don't have that level of awareness to be like, oh, okay, like shit, like this might suck for them too. And that's where a lot of like blowouts lead, like get to and because people just don't understand that things suck for other people too. One of the things that, especially in this last year that I've been practicing more is and being more mindful and being more aware too, but not being distracted from thinking about how other people feel. And what I mean by that is I like to observe people in moments where it's time to observe them. Like when you're at the park, like don't just bust your phone out. Like, you know, when you're, when you're in, Oh yeah, man, quick Snapchat. Like, like, do I like taking photos of moments? Yes, I do. Absolutely. But like, I don't need to send this text while I, or scroll through my phone on Instagram while I'm, I love the grocery store for some reason, while I'm at the grocery store, you know, like I don't, I don't have to do that while I'm waiting in line. I can be in the doctor's office and sit there and be around the people that are in the room and be present and see these people. And like, these are those moments where I actually practice being bored. Like just, just being, and that's yeah. what it is, man. When you're bored, like you actually, you actually get to experience being more human, experience being human in a room full yeah. of, full of humans. Right. So we talked about this at work the other day. Like imagine, like remember when we were kids, like it was like a four hour car ride and you're like, here's a stack of pencils and paper, like just draw. I don't know. We'll get to Toronto when we get to Toronto. Now kids are like on TikTok constantly, yeah. iPads, watching stuff. Like it's constant stimulation, and I it, it's it not. Is not healthy. Like, have you ever like looked around the room and like seven heads are just oh, bro, at a I cell do phone? It you're like all the time. I do it all the time. It's uh, it's one of the things that uh, drives me nuts. Uh, even just in friend groups, like when we're sitting in a room and like you know someone's on their phone and like I understand like now a lot of us have kids. And you, you know, you can't like take their phone mm -hmm. away. Christ, like, I mean, like, they are kids. Like, you just relax. Like, you know, like it's it's okay if they're on your phone. I'm like, you know, not offended by that or anything like that. But it, it's definitely something that I'm mindful of when I go to a restaurant or something. I see four people at the table, and every all four of them are on their phone. I'm like, what is this? Like, what 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 is this? Like, what are, what are we doing here? And I'm not trying to say it from a place of judgment or self righteousness, but it's like it, it is concerned. It, it, it's it. it it's very concerning to look at these people and go, look at people and go, like, is this, is this it? This is what we've been working towards, like that we can never be bored. Like, it's okay to be bored, hundred percent. Bring it onto a different topic. I uh, one of the things that I remember vividly about your accident was how the city of Sarnia like rallied and like came together for, and then from that you started your own charity called Shit Happens or It Happens. Um, and I just wanted to know, like, because this is such a life changing moment, like how did your relationships change with your friends, your family, um, what sort of things have, you know, changed for the good change for the bad? Um, um, yeah. So when, when, you know, my family and friends, um, you know, when my friends started that, uh, fundraiser, you know, do it for Dan for me and the give a response after my accident. So. Uh, you know, for your listeners, 
over $150,000 was raised 11 months after my accident from a campaign called Do It For Dan, right? And so- This is like before social media took stronghold. There was no GoFundMe. No GoFundMe, no Facebook. Newspaper. It was newspaper, radio, bro. That's it. That's all you had. Newspaper and radio. Yeah. I remember like my dad cracking the paper open and it'd be like, do it for Dan is doing mm-hmm. like yeah. car wash yeah. or whatever. And like, like it was, it was every, at least every, every month for sure. My name was definitely in the paper. And at some points it was like every single week, every single week. Like my name was in the paper. People knew who I was, man. I, when I got the strength and obviously when I was using a, uh, you know, a power wheelchair, um, I would, you know, go to friend's house and I'd be ripping down uh, Murphy Road. And I would have people turning off of Mo- uh, Murphy Road onto, like, you know, covering the sidewalk, like just going over the sidewalk and just like stopping me right in front and just hand me $20. So, hey, man, heard your story. Oh, yeah, man. Like that. Again, this is before GoFundMe, before GoFundMe. People just hand me money. People just be handing me money. Like that's how, yeah. And it, it, was, wow. it was actually crazy and, you know, obviously very humbling. And, uh, like I just remember the community support. It was right? nuts. It was nuts. Like every fundraiser was like ten grand here, ten grand there. Someone donated thirty. Someone, you know what I mean? They were just it, the money was rolling in, the awareness was rolling in, and it was just uh, overwhelming for sure. I had therapists. Like uh, I remember my rec therapist was saying, "Dan, I've been doing this job for twenty years. I've never seen somebody. I've never seen someone on the receiving end of." what you're doing and I've, you know, lived in three, four different cities, you know, around Ontario. I've never seen something like this, you know, so. That that goes to show you like how much people love and respect you as well. It took like, me a while to understand, like, to appreciate that too. Cause I used to think, oh, you know I mean? I'm, I'm one in a million or whatever. Like it's not a big deal. And it's like, no, like it, it, it's okay to be like, you know what? You're a good person. People like you and people are doing this because they like you. That's okay. That's not, you know, conceited. That's not any of those things. It's like they, they like that. And like for like context, like you're saying, like so, so much money was being raised. Like if people are wondering, like what what oh, do you need God. that money for? Like this might be something that people might overlook. Of like, dude, you got to like reformat oh your entire God. living space. You got to get new equipment. You gotta get well, like, the wheelchair, wheelchair, the wheelchair like, for one, the bathroom like, for two, um, the living space, the bedroom, ceiling, lift. The entrance to my mom's home. So it was my mother's home that was on the receiving end of all of those funds um, to for the sorry renovation piece, right? So renovating the downstairs room, mm-hmm. living space, pretty much putting essentially an apartment down there, right? So I had my own fridge, I had my own sink, I had my own you know kind of kitchenette kind of thing, and then uh, my own living space with a desk and everything, TV, all that stuff, space, this physical space for the chair and all this stuff, right? So. All the dimensions that went into that, uh, mm-hmm. an entrance, uh, an automatic button, an electronic, you know, accessible uh, button for the door to open, and then access to the backyard from the backyard, all the pavement that went into, you know, leveling everything all the way up so that, you know, there's no steps or anything like that. So you're not going to put, you know, portable ramps anywhere, right? So access to that room and then a vehicle uh, that allowed my family to drive me places that, you know, had a ramp in the back and everything. And then... Uh, the rest of the money went towards uh, me get um, uh, my education. Actually, that's what I was able to do. It you know supported you know my uh, business marketing diploma that I got from Lansing College. So um, and then of course I went back and realized that I hate marketing and I you know would rather 
rather do social work, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was a good thing to have at the time, but though, man, the money went everywhere. The money went towards everything um, that I needed. But like we say, we do often sometimes think about how like, Oh, what would you need this, all this money for? Oh no, man, we spent every one of the, spent every penny on things that we needed hundred percent. Oh, I can only imagine. So sorry, like getting back to like your oh, friends right. and family relationship, like did, did you notice like a change or like was both, it a positive both. change? There were some neutral changes. There were some positive changes and definitely some uh, some negative felt ones. Um, there were relationships that I had with people that they could not they could not grasp the weight of the situation and myself being the situation. But, you know, so, you know, they they just disappeared. I had friends that just disappeared. Or people that I thought were friends, but I've also had time to like think about that and not to be like, oh, I'm not pissed off at you for doing that. I had, I was angry at first for some people not showing up at the hospital, like, you know, when I would message them on, you know, MSN, because that's all we had, you know, I'd say, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, it'd be cool to see you kind of thing. Right. And like, but for some of those things, like, I was like, do I have to ask you to come see me at the hospital? Like, I thought this was like an example that, hey, that person may want some company. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. It's disheartening to have to reach out for support. from Exactly. Think you get yeah, bro, it from. that's it. A hundred percent. And it's in the beginning. Why am I having to articulate that? I want to see you when that was just something we automatically did in the summertime, going to the beach together or, you know, hanging out or, you know, like meeting after work or, you know, going mm-hmm. for runs and shit like, like whatever it was that we we're doing before. You no, know, they're not like that, but it's also the company that, you know, I'm also looking for. So that was tough. Like some of those relationships and friendships, um, a bit of a silver lining though, is it's, it's in those experiences, in those shitty, hard moments and hard things that you experience as a human being. That's when you find out what relationships, the ones that stick around are going to stick around. Like that's where you find out who those people are. You find out like the measure of a person's character when things are, things are hectic. Things are chaotic. Things are terrible. Things are awful. In those low moments, you find out who, you know, in essence, who the real ones are, the ones that you can depend on are. Did it turn out to be a lot less than you thought it would have been? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, (laughs) because like Moss, you know, so like I played, basketball, football, baseball, swimming, track and field, right? You know, playing all those sports in the locker room and then you hang out with these all-star athletes, all-star. Dude, I remember like play, having to play football against you and you're like, shit, this guy's the <laughs> middle linebacker, the quarterback. You just like <laughs> dropping bombs. I remember playing St. Chris. And, We're not going to win. Like, Oh, God. Uh, never played linebacker though, but I did play cornerback. Cornerback, I played quarterback. Oh, I played. Hey, I did play hey, safety hey. at one point too, but like running the ball, receiver, punt returner, all those things. Yeah, man, all those things was too much fun. Oh yeah, I had to. And like when you and then so so for people to know context, Moss went to a school that had at least like forty to fifty kids on their football team. I went to a school that we had twenty. Sometimes we had twenty four people at games. Like that was our bench. Like it was basically so a lot of people had to play both ways. We had. Some- I played first yeah, string left yeah, out. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, here, I think we still yeah. have another jersey. Like, <laughs> our team, when we had thirty guys show up for a game, it was a godsend because that's when I knew I didn't have to play. I didn't have to play defense for this one, or I didn't have to play all the special teams. But no, nah, man, like there, I was one of the guys, and like there was a handful of us 
that you were playing punt, uh, punt return, kickoff, kick return, field goal unit, offense, defense, everything. You were playing it all. And so it was rare that I would leave the mm-hmm. field, but, you know, it, you know, made it, uh, it was exciting, man. It was awesome. And but what I was saying is that you play so many of these sports, you know, play travel basketball, play travel baseball too. And you think when you hang out with these guys after games, before games or whatever on weekends, you think that these are the people, like you think these are the guys, you think these are your friends that um, would be there. And some of them were, but holy shit, a lot of them weren't, you know what I mean? Like guys that you would work with, you know, um, you know, you get, you know, jobs here and there, right. You know, through, you know, through high school, you know, working at Zellers or Huron Oaks or wherever, Coffee Lodge. You think some of the, yeah, you think some of these people are your ones that are going to show up, but um, but they're not. And it, it, it's it's not a slight at them. You do your best not to take it personal. It is personal, but you do not. You you do your best not to, yeah. you know, let it affect you too too much. But understand that some people can't answer the call. Some some people aren't able to, and that isn't to say mm-hmm. that they're a lesser person. It's just, they're not able to answer the call. Like um, how I like to look at situations like that or relationships like that is you're asking for a dollar and that person only has 75 cents. Like they they can't fill that gap. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in them that says, I can give you what uh, what you need and that's okay. And that's okay if you only got 75 cents because it's still 100% yeah. what the they emo- can give you, but that's not enough. It's just like a little emotionally mm-hmm. stunted. I find like, so that's a huge hurdle at an early age for friendships yeah, and relationships. And, you know, it, it put a ringer in a time warp, basically. And I'm getting to the point 16 years later that like I'm starting to realize these things too, but just more yeah. organically of just like, you know, like a couple challenges in life, like a couple unfortunate like miscarriages mm-hmm. and whatever. And like, not to say that I expected anyone to like pick up the phone and or like make the drive, but like some people did and it's yeah. obvious some people didn't. And like, I'm just getting to realize like, you know, like some of these friendships that I thought were very deep and like rich and, you know, like yeah. a bond uh, is more just like, oh, all we really do is get together, have a couple beers, watch yeah. hockey, you know, maybe go to concert or something and like that's it and like to them they think that's an excellent friendship it's the you know the best one they have and meanwhile i've got other friends that i mentioned this on another podcast that like yo i have so many people i can just like pick up the phone and have honest conversations with and like those are the people that show up in my life and those are the people that like i really value their friendship and i just it's not that i don't value the other ones it's just it's like a different type of friendship to me you know how they're structured like how friendships look they, I start, no, I'm saying like I have rankings for them. It's not rankings. I kind of look at it as a pool and they're just in different places in that pool. But the ones that are close, oh, actually it's almost like a cell, the nucleus. You know what I mean? Like you got your core, like you have your core, you have the ones that are right close to you. But uh, you, the ones that are, you know, you have people, especially the frequency too, you know, how often you see these people. And I have friends that I actually don't, see a lot but i actually keep in contact with with more like one thing you know i can appreciate you know with cell phones or definitely facetime and this was tough too like going through my injury without facetime like it's it's crazy because like 
I wasn't able to text too much like when I had my injury because like one, I didn't have a phone, but two, when I did eventually get a phone, um, you know, I wasn't fast on texting and stuff. So like you had to call, had this like remember Bluetooth headsets, remember those like little thing you'd put in your ear, bro. I had, I was oh, rocking yeah. one of those. He's walking down the street. You're like, I think they're talking. Are they great? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those guys, those guys. <laughs> oh my gosh. You got to be intentional about your relationships. That's one thing that I've come to learn. Um, you have to be deliberate about it. Like if people, we, we say this all the time, all people get busy, we get kids, we get married, blah, 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 this and that, the job takes you elsewhere, whatever, like all those things. Yes, those things do happen. But also at the same time, those things are happening because they're a priority that you're making. Like that's why those things are happening. You're intentional about, holy shit. If I don't buy, if I don't work, I ain't got no money and I'm not going to eat. That's a priority. Like, but Hey, your mental health, Mm -hmm. your relationships, those are also priorities that you can make. Like, hey, I got to call my buddy, you know, Leo, and we got to talk about some real shit because if we don't, then it, 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 these are relationships that matter and they matter towards, you know, the conversation is important to your mental health. And even this conversation right now, like how we go, hey, are you available this week? Are you available that time? Are you available that? That is the intentionality behind conversation and that enriches your mental health that improves your mental health but you got to be everything that leads up to this is the intentional work you got to be intentional about it well for sure yeah like even my buddy uh this morning i was like hey uh we're super busy adults uh and when can i schedule in schedule you in for golf (laughs) this summer like we need to book at some point because it's gonna you you just gotta like make the move to do it there's no more like hey i'm just gonna ride my bike over <laughs> to my buddy's house and see if they're available and like and, and like you just hop on your bike and just rip around this neighborhood or that neighborhood just to see where the boys were at just to see where everyone was at see where your friends see where Wait, all the bikes were on the lawn exactly. and that's where you knew now you're like well i got my kid i gotta do this i gotta do that like i gotta work i do this they gotta work it's even just trying to schedule this podcast took us like what like yeah three weeks like or more i think more or more i think more just to yeah. find like, but it, yeah, it, it takes the time that it takes. And when, but when you take the time, then that's the, it's an investment. It's an investment into you. It's an investment in the relationship. You're mm-hmm. building something here. And I, that's even something that, you know, I've even had buddies. I've had to tell them that's, that's how your marriage should work too. You know, if you're married or if you're in a relationship with someone, like you got to still take the same approach that you would in other relationships. You got to be intentional about it. Like, you know, making the time to actually do those things. It, yeah. that's, that's how it goes too. So, but definitely after my accident, like I said, you saw who the real ones were after when shit got real. And then those are the ones that like, I've definitely invested in. And it's not to say that only those people are my closest friends today, because obviously, you know, I've made, you know, some connections that, um, that weren't as close at the time. And then, um, you know, you build on them years later, like, my goodness, we're talking 17 years almost now, but, um, it's for sure being deliberate about it. And, um, like it's, it's definitely a gift, you know, it sucks that being in a wheelchair is whatever being in a wheelchair, but, um, this is the only life that I get. This is the only one that I'll have that we know of, you know, you know, but reincarnated, I don't know, you know, come back to the (laughs) hawker. Or a bicycle, I don't know, but like, imagine <laughs> <laughs> I like come back and I'm on wheels again. Like, ah, come on, I came back as a wheelchair, <laughs> but like, you know, it's uh, you only get this one, right? So, you know, let's uh, you know, be intentional about it. And, um, you know, that's that's one of the things I love about uh, that's definitely one of the things I love about this life. It's given me 
or sorry, that's one of the things I love about this lens, this lens being, you know, paralyzed, um, because I've had the lens of, you know, being an able-bodied person. I've had that. Um, and I get to look at life at another angle that not everybody gets to, or not everybody gets the opportunity. And that's what I think of this as it sucks, but it's also an opportunity to see life from a different perspective. Some people travel to see life from a different point of view. I just, you know, break my spine and I can see life from a different point of view. So, you know, same thing happening, just, you know, a little different. <laughs> Some people go about it a little differently. Our job gives us a little bit of perspective that oh, not everybody gets to, yeah. right? Like you see the, see the tragedies and we see the realities and it's definitely given me a new outlook on life, given me new fears and like, you know, also things to look forward to and whatever, just like more well-rounded shape of what yeah. true life is about. You know, like a lot of people live in a bubble and like expect everything to be great and like going to some things and you're like, well, sometimes it's not that great. And it makes you appreciate the things that you do have. Well, and it's like your trip that you just went on. Like you might, or a lot of people might be saving that for retirement or whatever, but mm -hmm. guess what? I've seen lots of people that just retire and then yeah. boom, they either, they pass away or yeah. they don't even get to retirement or they're not, or they have an yeah, they're not able-bodied anymore. So to if like you can live go. in the moment and do things now when you have the money or the time, you're healthy. Mm -hmm. Like just, just do, do it, it now. Yeah, you never know, right? Yeah, I think that's a good kind of wrap things up. But is there anything else that you want to uh, leave people with? I love your your message of being intentional. I think that's huge. Is there um, anything else? You know, uh, one of the things that uh, that I've been kind of sitting on these last. Uh, I guess this last last year, I kind of like take my years and like, you know, lessons that stick out the most. And like, you know, one of the things this year for me is definitely um, uh, being patient with things like, yes, be intentional with it. But um, you run into this, my goodness, you go on the Internet and you see people saying, you know, bust your ass for this and work hard for this. And then you get in like, yes, OK, yes, the results are coming, but you'll never get them the same time you're working them right then and there in that moment you know what i mean like shit doesn't happen overnight you know um i've had people come at me and say you know dan you know you know people adore you people love you people think you're amazing and this and that and like i try not to let that stuff get to my head too big but like at some at one point i didn't have all of the notoriety you know what i mean i didn't have you know, the only reason people know my name is because I had my accent and it was in the paper and that was it. And then, you know, I did some fundraising for the hospital after that. But my point is, is like, I don't get that without the other part, but I don't get any of that overnight. None of it's, you know what I mean? None of, none of it happens overnight. So be patient with, but like, like I mentioned before, like it kind of goes with the intentionality thing. Be deliberate about it. You know, your approaches in life, no matter what they are whether they're family, whether they're relationships, whether they're friendships, whether it's work, whether it's, you know, studying, whether it's working out, health, fitness, whatever those things are, your mental health, be patient with the results. The results are coming, but like, you know, be intentional about it, but be patient for the results. They're coming. You just got to be patient. And that doesn't mean sitting around and waiting for things to happen. Make things happen yeah. and wait for the results. I like that message a lot. And also like, I kind of like what I'm taking from it as well is, is like, don't burn yourself out to try and like people that are just like working away their twenties and thirties and like, you know, just like people that work multiple jobs. Some people have to, I understand that, but like some people do it because they're chasing mm. clout or they want to keep up with the Joneses or something. And it's just like, appreciate what you have. Like you don't try to always chase something new because that new thing is not going to make you 100%. happy. Like I think, having a family now changes that perspective for me i always used to like part-time i always wanted more yeah. money i wanted this i wanted that I want... and now i'm just like 
you know what I want is more time to like watch my daughter grow up and like, you know, that sort of thing. So that's shaped my reality. But like, uh, that's kind of what I took from you. Like I see a lot of those like TikTok things of like people being like, chase the, chase the paper. I only get the bag. But, and it's just like, yeah, you know what? You'll never you're yeah. gonna take that to the grave. Like I'm going to take 100%. Of you'll, you'll never yeah. have enough. If that's what you're chasing, you'll never enough. Enough will never be enough. It, it won't be. That doesn't exist. That's uh, no. that's not how you play that game. Like the best way to do it is. Oh yeah. With money And once you get there, still get for, for the time being, and but then, then you're like, Oh, I, I want, I want a private jet. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, yeah. to your point, when you're saying like, you know, when I would see other people with be able to move physically, move more than me, it would make me think like, Oh, you know, why can't I do that? But I, you said, Oh, there's probably someone that's looking at me that is probably wishing they can move as much as I can move. And absolutely. It just, it just goes in that cycle. Right. So Dan, be appreciative and grateful. Work with what you have. Absolutely. You can go get more if you want more. Go get it if you want mm-hmm. it. But be grateful that you have this and work with this. Work within work within these means. Go get more, but work. use this to work within those means, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, is there any like where people can reach out to you? Like we didn't touch on it, but that much but dan's a motivational speaker mostly for children's age um if you want to reach out if you're a teacher oh, yeah. principal whatever you can find can me just- on and like a lot of the content that i share uh, about the things that i speak about you can find me on my instagram um d i think it's dj edwards 03 just look up dan edwards you'll find me um also uh yeah also uh uh you know our podcast that you know dan and i run is a coffin over comfort zone you can find that on instagram um as well and um my email and everything like that is on um my instagram for uh, public speaking so reach out to me and i'll you know let you know and definitely yeah look forward to more of this and that's pretty much my style too when i when i do give presentations or talks it's just it'll feel like a conversation that's my favorite thing about it and it's one of the things i love about this so and i also you know want to thank you guys for you know thanks for the conversation 